0: Post Reports is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast
1: series by T. Rowe Price and The Washington Post Brand Studio. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. It's Robert Samuels from The Washington Post. Post, this is Sarah Kaplan. Hi, this is Elahi Azadi with The Washington Post. Hey, This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, January 25th. Today, President Trump and congressional leaders announce a deal to temporarily end the government shutdown. And Roger Stone is the latest person to be indicted in the Russia probe.
0: In a short while, I will sign a bill to open our government for three weeks until February 15th.
1: On Friday afternoon, President Trump announced that he'd reached a deal with Congress to fully reopen the government. That came just as the partial government shutdown was entering day 35. Flights in and out of New York were delayed. Federal workers had just missed a second paycheck. Things were getting really bad.
0: I will make sure that all employees receive their back pay very quickly or as soon as possible.
1: The temporary reopening of the government allows time for a deal to be reached over a potential border wall.
0: If we don't get a fair deal from Congress... The government will either shut down on February 15th again or I will use the powers afforded to me under the laws
1: and the Constitution of the United States to address this emergency. Trump spoke from the Rose Garden, and he said that the deal was an opportunity for bipartisanship and for Democrats to come to the table and consider funding, at least partly, a physical barrier on the border.
0: No, there has been no ground uh, made in terms of persuading Democrats to bargain for an actual wall.
1: Paul Kane is a congressional reporter for The Post, and he's calling from the Capitol, near the Senate chambers.
0: He is not any closer really today to building a wall than he was a month ago.
1: So why is he agreeing to this deal to reopen the government for three weeks now? Like, what was the tipping point?
0: The tipping point is this today, the last couple of days and through the weekend and into next week, depending on your pay scale. This was the second round, at least the second round of paychecks that the 800,000 furloughed federal workers were going to miss. It was causing havoc. It was causing havoc, and the Republicans, particularly in the Senate, were getting very, very upset. It might not have been showing much in the sort of national polls of people who were impacted by it, but boy, they were hearing from it from their their voters back home. And the final tipping point is, you know, this morning's uh, sort of no-shows from FAA and TSA workers that were just bringing uh, federal airports to a halt. It it became untenable anymore. And Senate Republicans were ready for a jailbreak here.
1: So what's going to happen next? Like, how quickly is the government actually going to reopen?
0: Oh, probably within, technically within a matter of hours. The Senate will pass a continuing resolution in the jargonese of of congress it's just a bill that will be about one page long and it will say government these government agencies xyz that have not had their full year funding are, uh, are hereby given funding to stay open at last year's levels until February 15th. The Senate will pass it, send it to the House, and we expect that the House will do the same, and they won't even have bring everybody back for a roll call vote. Instead, they'll just have a, a simple vote, and then the, go straight to the president, and he'll sign it. So by the end of today... It will be the – all the agencies will be back open. Uh, But most federal workers won't return to work anyway until Monday because they have – most of them have a Monday to Friday schedule. But if you're uh, touring Washington, D.C., you should have all the Smithsonian's open uh, lickety-split tomorrow.
1: So – How does this deal kind of change the political landscape for for Trump and for Democrats? Well, to give
0: you an insight to what I'm writing this weekend, it's about how this was the fight that the House Democrats had no intention of fighting. You know, they spent all of last year campaigning not about Donald Trump. Their their folks in the toughest races last year were all fixated on things like lowering the cost of prescription drugs, like guaranteeing pre-existing condition protections and health insurance, and they haven't done any any of the things they really said they were going to do. You know, they wanted to hit the ground running and talk about all those things, and they wanted to avoid the trap of getting into a fight with Trump, and instead – They came out and right out of the gate January 3rd in a shutdown, and they basically had to change plans on a dime and go toe-to-toe with Trump for the next uh, almost 30 days. And while some were getting worried, slowly but surely, as the polls came in on their side and they continued to blame Trump, there were Democrats that have told me this week they felt good about their standing.
1: Because even if this wasn't Democrats' original plan, like, if this is what a divided congress looks like if it's trump versus democrats it seems like the democrats came out pretty on top on this one
0: yes and they were getting a little bit antsy but they got sort of steered in the right direction by pelosi and the leadership team and was all about finding things for them to do and they would come to the senate side and they would hold protests outside mitch mcconnell's office it gave them some reassurance about what they were doing and where the fight was and and they definitely, they definitely came out ahead. Shutting down government over a policy
2: difference is self-defeating. It accomplishes nothing but pain and suffering for the country and the American people. That's a lesson we all must bear in mind when this next continuing resolution expires, and that will make its success more likely. We can never hold American workers hostage again. I yield the floor.
1: What are the chances that in three weeks' time we're going to see the government shut right back down?
0: Well, I think that is largely dependent on Trump and what Trump wants to do next. Um, the reality is this: they're, they're going to take the Homeland Security bill where the fight over the border wall is, and they're going to, quote-unquote, go to conference with the House and Senate committees so sort of trying to haggle over that. They're not going to resolve the issue. They're just not. It's going to be that the Democrats leading the House side, the Republicans leading the Senate side, they are going to come to a deadlock on this issue, uh, on the issue of the wall, and either we go back into a shutdown, or Trump caves again and just accepts border funding without a, without a, uh, you know, border security without any language allowing him to build a wall. The other option is he just declares a national emergency, and we end up in the courts. And we move on from this, the sort of brinksmanship over this issue.
1: Paul Kane is a congressional reporter for The Post. Early Friday morning, special counsel Robert Mueller indicted President Trump's longtime advisor, Roger Stone.
2: He's often called a political trickster. He's a Republican operative who got his start as a young man working for Richard Nixon and has really sort of made a career of kind of reveling in politics, dark arts, playing tricks on his opponents, digging up dirt on them. Roz Helderman has been covering the
1: investigation into whether Trump's 2016 presidential campaign colluded with Russia.
2: Roger Stone is one of Donald Trump's oldest friends. He's been friends with Trump for about 30 years. We talk from time to time. Uh, we talk politics. Beyond that, I'm not going to characterize it. The president has to have confidence that he can talk politics or policy with a friend of 40 years without it appearing on the front page of the newspaper. He worked for the campaign briefly in 2015 as an official campaign staffer and then left the campaign under sort of contested circumstances. Trump said that he fired him. He said that he quit. With this indictment,
1: Mueller is essentially penetrating Trump's inner circle by charging Stone with seven separate felonies.
2: But five of them are very similar. Basically, five of them relate to separate lies that he told to Congress when he testified in September of 2017. There's also one count of obstruction of an official proceeding and then a final count of witness tampering.
1: Roz says these charges center on Stone's possible ties to WikiLeaks editor Julian Assange and the hacks into the Democrats'
2: 2016 campaign. Stone was someone that everyone knew from the very beginning was going to get a hard look in those investigations. And the reason is because he had said publicly during the campaign that he was in contact with Julian Assange. He had made all these sort of cryptic remarks suggesting that he knew what Assange was up to, what Assange had, and and said several times he was actually in contact with Assange. So this is the
1: WikiLeaks thing, that people think that, that Roger Stone had something to do with WikiLeaks releasing all these DNC emails.
2: Yeah, WikiLeaks, of course, releases these thousands of emails in July and then October. Uh, we now know that they were hacked by Russian operatives and given to WikiLeaks to interrupt the campaign. And during that time when WikiLeaks is releasing this stuff, you've got Roger Stone out there essentially claiming to be in contact with Assange. And the question always was, was he really? Was he really in contact with Assange? Did he help WikiLeaks in any way? Or was he kind of just lying to the public? It's very important to know that the indictment does not actually accuse him of having been in contact with Assange. It doesn't speak at all to his actual communications with WikiLeaks. It doesn't say he conspired or colluded, uh, as Trump would tell you. What it says is that when he was asked about these things, once the investigations were opened, he lied. He went before uh, the House Intelligence Committee in September of 2017, and prosecutors say that he told five separate lies. And then the indictment appears
1: to suggest that he also coached someone else to lie to Congress.
2: This has been for months now one of the most complicated and hard-to-follow threads of the story, uh, and I think the indictment only kind of clears that up. It's going to be hard for the public to follow this. Um, but the the upshot, the most important thing is that they are saying, the prosecutors are saying that Roger Stone lied to Congress about his contacts with Assange. And then there is this other especially colorful piece where uh, they say that he leaned on on this comedian radio show host, Randy Credico, to try to get Credico to conform his story to Rogers or else just not to testify. So what is Roger Stone's defense for all of this? He's obviously been very verbal and vocal over the last few months as he's been under investigation. And he has always said he did absolutely nothing wrong. So he says he was not in contact with Assange, regardless of what he might have said during the campaign. He did not know anything about what WikiLeaks had planned before they released emails. And he has also said that his congressional testimony, he insists, was accurate. Uh, I answered all of the questions. Uh, I made the case that the uh, accusation that I knew about John Podesta's email hack in advance was false, that I knew uh, about the content and source of the WikiLeaks disclosures regarding Hillary Clinton was false.
1: It's interesting because it feels like this is a significant development in the Mueller investigation, but yet it's like, not really a smoking
2: gun. It's absolutely not a smoking gun for the heart of the investigation uh, that everyone has been waiting for, which is, did the Trump campaign coordinate with Russia to win this election? And this indictment Um, doesn't speak to that. It doesn't make that accusation. Um, It's kind of, you know, a process crime uh, is what some people would say dismissively. Now, it's not a minor matter. It is not legal to lie to investigators. And I think one key thing we learned from this indictment is how much contact Roger Stone had with the Trump campaign about WikiLeaks. So we don't know whether Roger Stone ever actually made contact with WikiLeaks. He claims he did not. But it's very clear that he was telling people he was. And so you had this world of people who believed that Roger Stone was the guy who knew what WikiLeaks had up its sleeve. Um, So you have this really interesting moment in the indictment where it says that after WikiLeaks released the DNC emails in July of 2016, people will remember that was a big moment. Debbie Wasserman Schultz had to resign as head of the, uh, of the DNC as a result. Everyone wanted to know what else did Julian Assange have. And so according to the indictment, a senior campaign official was directed to call Roger Stone and say, what do you know about what WikiLeaks has? So that's a really important moment because it shows you that, you know, People thought Russia was behind this, but the Trump campaign was eager for more. Wherever it was coming from, they wanted it and they wanted to know what was coming next. And there's also this big question. It says the senior campaign official was directed to call Roger Stone. Directed by who? We don't know. Was it the president? That's going to be the big question going forward.
1: White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said Friday morning that Stone's indictment has nothing to do with President Trump. Later in the day, Stone appeared in court and was released on a $250,000 bond. Speaking over a noisy crowd of protesters and supporters, Stone said that he'll be pleading not guilty and that he won't testify against the president.
2: I look forward to being fully and
0: completely vindicated.
1: Roger Stone will be arraigned in Washington next week. That's it for Post Reports. Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Matt Collette. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Muhammad, Maggie Penman, Jordan Marie Smith, and Ted Muldoon, who composes original music and does sound design for the show. The Post Director of Audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.
0: Post Reports is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best.